0: My name is Alan. Um, it's good to see you. Just singing. So, I, uh, so we, that the new song that we sang is, is legit one of my favorite, favorite songs right now. It's called The Hope of Christ that somebody asked me about just a second ago. And I've been singing it for about the past month or so. And so funny story with it. Um, we came out of the song In Christ Alone and I could not for the life of me get the tune of it in my head just going to admit this right now. And so I start to sing it and I, I know this song kind of front to back, except for when we come out of that, all I have is the, the Christ of in Christ alone. So what anchor holds, which is totally wrong. And so thank you, Wesley, for singing that verse. Shout out um, because he's much smarter than me. And so I don't know how this is going to go is what I'm saying, because the part that I actually do most of the time didn't go so well with that. So I don't do this a whole lot, so just uh, I want to prepare you here. I've got sticky notes that I always fail to write on there where you can see them, like I write it the wrong way, so we're, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. We're going to be in, uh, in the book of, of James today, but, so before that, uh, if you are new here, my name is my Alan. I am one of our, our, our pastors or elders here at the church. I don't preach a whole, whole lot, but I'm part of our, our pastoral team, and so most of the time what I do is sing. As I've said, and you know, I forget a lot of that, so we'll try to keep up with this. But it is—it's a pleasure to get to do this. This is the only church that I've ever been a part of that had um, that had a, a team like what we've got here, and, and praise God for it—that we've got a team uh, with Kyle, Jasper, myself, James, and Steve. And so, um, you get the privilege that we might get out a little quicker today, and we might go around like this, but I think it'll be good. Uh, so before we get started, let's open your Bibles to the book of James. And we are going to walk through the first 11 verses today. James 1, verses 1 through 11. And James, just, uh, James, it was up here. There's a lot of Jameses. We're going to talk about that in a second, too. There's Jameses all throughout the Bible. We're going through in-home group. We're going through a study of James. And so if you're in-home groups, what we're going to be doing is what we talk about on Wednesday nights... We're going to try to reinforce on Sunday mornings for the next ten or so weeks. I believe it is. So this is week one. We talked about James one through eleven in, in home groups. Uh, if so, if you're interested in home groups, there's a little study book. If you don't have one, you can come find myself or James or Steve. We can make sure that we get you one today. All right. So let's uh, let's just pray that I don't forget everything, and and then we'll we'll get to it. Okay. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your, your goodness and for uh, your kindness and, and for being so gracious. Thank you for allowing us to, um, to come together and to, to study your word, to sing out praises and, and to do life with each other. Um, thanks for allowing us together uh, as one body to go in the same direction, just to say, Lord, that you, are, um, that you are Savior and that you are King and that we are not in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first part is that uh, I don't particularly like to read things. I'll just be honest with you all there. I'm not a big fan of, of reading a lot, but I have to read a lot, and so I get through it. But here's what I'm finding that I am a big fan of, though. I'm a big fan of learning things. Anybody like that? Like, some people can read, and you're great at school, and you like to study things, and you're very um, analytical in your brain. So that's typically not me. I like to talk about things, and I like to hear people explain things, and then my brain kind of puts them in an order that makes sense with me, and then I like to learn stuff that way. And so I've done a personality thing at work the other day, and, and mine is tapped out on the unconventional thinking. I, I haven't seen anybody else's yet that's as far on the unconventional side. So my brain works a little bit like that. Kyle's smiling. He knows. He's talked to me. If you've had a conversation with me before, you probably know that. Um, But I like to learn things. And so learning things is important. And so before we get into James, I want to talk about who James was, uh, what the book of James is about, and some of the specifics within it. Because the historical context of it uh, really helps me understand what I'm trying to learn. Okay? And so... I want to talk about who James was, what the main point or the main idea of it is. Uh, this helps us put it all into context because without context, we can take things out of context, which we see a lot in the, in the Christian world in a lot of places, which means we just grab verses from anywhere, little you know, snippet, and we apply it to every single aspect of our lives. And sometimes that might be great, but sometimes that might be very harmful because that's not the intent of the scripture right? So um, so the first thing we've got to ask is who is James? There's quite a few Jameses mentioned in the Bible. Um, there's uh, two different disciples uh, of Jesus that are named James. There's James, uh, uh, son of Zebedee, and then there's James, uh, son of Alpha- Alphaeus, I think is how you say it. Close. And there's even some controversy uh, between that. So some people think that, that, that the son of Alphaeus, that's not how you say the name. I don't know how you say it. Is that right? Okay, Alphaeus, Alphaeus. Some people would say that's the same James as the, the one that writes here. That would just be the half-brother of, of James. But um, the James that writes in the book of James is the brother of Jesus. So this is a guy that grew up with Jesus. He is not one of the 12 disciples. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll go through that. So this was the, the, the brother of Jesus. We see this in Matthew 13, 55. Um, and that he didn't belong, or he didn't even believe in Jesus growing up. So I want to take you over to, to John real fast. If you got, we're gonna flip around a little bit today. So in John uh, chapter 7, this is after a feast. So this is after Jesus has done some miracles already. This is not when Jesus is just a little child. He's already walked on water, he's already done some stuff, and they're going to the feast of booths, and it says this. Starting in, in, uh, in verse 3, it says, So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, uh, that your mesi- disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. It says, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. So they're kind of saying this in a mockingly way. They're saying, listen, if you do all of these things and you have these wonderful works, don't do them in secret, go do them to the whole world. Uh, show yourself to the world. And then verse 5 it says, For not even his brothers believed in him. So this is this is James. He grows up, you know, imagine being the, the younger sibling, and your brother's the son of God, you know. I mean, he grows up with this guy that's super smart, reads the scriptures, and even as they get older and he sees Jesus doing miracles, he doesn't believe. He is skeptical, you know, at best. Okay? So this is the James that we're dealing with. Um, After the resurrection, though, however, James comes to believe um, and Christ appears to him. So Christ appears after his resurrection. He appears to um, hundreds of people. I think it says over 500 people. And then it says, and then he appears first to James and then he goes uh, uh, to the other apostles. So he goes and he makes himself known, known to James. So James believes in the Lord. He starts trusting that all of the stuff that his brother Jesus has told him is true, is real. And James stays in Jerusalem with a pocket of other believers. We see this in, uh, in Acts. James stays there. He's with Peter. He's with some other, some other uh, good folks. And he starts to become a leader within the church. So this is James that grew up with Jesus, didn't really believe in him. Resurrection happens. Jesus comes to him. He, he believes that Jesus is who he said he was. And then he becomes a leader. Um, uh, this is a guy that, that Paul actually comes in Galatians. It says Paul comes and he meets with, with James. Um, when Peter escapes prison, uh, one of the things Peter goes and he tells, you know, he tells him of all the great things that the Lord has done, how he just delivered him. And he says, tell James And the brothers, make sure you tell them the things that the Lord has done. Uh, And We know that uh, in in the end of Acts that James is also part of what was called the Jerusalem Council. So he becomes such a leader that he uh, is part of the council. And not only just part of the council, he actually has some kind of um, very high leadership in the council. He, He is called a pillar and an elder of the church. And, um, and when he gives a speech, it's based on his judgment of the things. So he's not just part of this little council. He's one of the leaders of the Jerusalem council. So all of that's important, at least to me, to know when we get into talking about James, who this James is, because there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of Jameses within the Bible. So that is the James that wrote um, this book of James. And it's pretty cool. It kind of shows... How somebody that's very skeptical um, has done a complete 180 in a sense and is now a leader proclaiming, boldly proclaiming the, the truths of, of the Lord. He's actually called James the just uh, in, a, in a lot. And they say that they would that, that, that his knees become so callous because they would find him historically, they would find him in the temple often all the time on his knees, praying to the Lord. For mainly for, for, the, for the, uh, the Jewish um, folks to, uh, seek the Lord. So he stayed in Jerusalem. Uh, history, the Bible doesn't say how he was, how he was killed, but history, um, and, and Josephus, which is a historical writer, typically think that he was, there's two different stories and they kind of go together. One say he might've been thrown off a temple, off the temple, and that that didn't quite kill him. So they stoned him to death. Um, it's kind of historical. Again, that part's not in the Bible, but uh, but but historically it's widely accepted that he was that he was martyred in, in that way. So he endured some some hardship and trial uh, and he was eventually killed for his faith. But this is all important for me to know because there is a seemingly controversy. If you've been in Sunday school, I like controversy We've been talking about Exodus. I didn't I didn't realize I liked them as much as I do, but I do. There can be, let me say, not seemingly, but there can be a controversy of two guys in the Bible, James and Paul. Um, And there's a couple different approaches when we read the Bible that we can go to. So some people I've heard that just say, you know what, we're just going to go, we're going to lean so much on Paul that sometimes they don't even know what Jesus said. And Paul's always pointing people back to Jesus. Now, there's another group that at times, uh, there was a group when we lived in Tennessee, my wife and I, a church right down the road, they completely denounced Paul. And they said, we're only going to preach the red letters. Only. And then there's other groups that would say, but Paul preaches grace and James seems to preach a lot of works. And so they can't be hand in hand. And so they're like this. And so if you just cherry pick some verses, that's kind of what, what you get to. So for instance, let's read, uh, we're going to read Romans 3.28. It says this, it says, for we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. For we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And then in James 2, later, which I'm not going to get to today, James 2, 24, it's going to say this, it says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So all of that, to kind of wrap in your brain that when we pick just two different things, they can look like they're coming to two different places. So it's important to know the background of James, to know James and Paul actually knew each other. They were all preaching the gospel and they had two very different people they were talking to in their books. So I hope this is easy enough to follow. This is how my brain has to track. So, um, so Paul, when he's writing Romans, is, is, is really making a case for Christ to Gentiles not Jewish people. And he walks through the history of Israel. He walks through uh, the chosen elect all the way from the Old Testament to Israel. And he even makes a case that those people reject the Lord. And now he's making this case for Christ for Gentiles. And James, what we're going to see, is mainly talking to Jewish believers. Mainly. It's applicable in, in many ways, but he is talking to people that um, he stayed in Jerusalem, that are Jerusalem uh, or that are Jewish, um, for the most part, wealthy leaders. Not all of them, but but that's a big thing, and that's important to distinguish because what we're going to see in James is he does not make a big case for Christ. This was one of the things in our home group we brought up. The first introduction is, it really doesn't lay out a lot of theological ground for Jesus in the book of James. It lays out practical advice, lays out practical things. And so this is helpful for us as a church because there are a lot of you out here that would say we are believers. And sometimes we go, okay, but what do we do? What do we do now? And James is a book that says, if you confess to be a believer in Jesus, you must be obedient to his word. And in obedience, your life will produce good works. It has to. If your life looks nothing like a Christian that the Bible describes, and your works look nothing like what the Bible describes, then your faith is dead. Which is a, it's kind of a hard reality, but you can't, play, you can't play both. And so James is going to harp on that. You can't, you can't act like just a Christian and not obey anything. They go hand in hand. So these are not two op- opposing positions, grace and, and works. These are things that have to work together. They, they just have to. So that's, that's kind of the whole um, premise of what we're going to uh, get into and what hopefully I can communicate with you today. All right, well, I guess now we should probably read some of James. Um, if y'all will please stand, and we're going to read James 1. 1 through 11. I'll get back over there. Okay, so James 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So also will be the rich man, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Um, we ask that as we as we go through just these first eleven verses, that you That you grant us wisdom this morning to understand your word. uh, That you help us obey your word and that you help us seek after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all may have a seat. All right, so number one, or point one, I don't really have points, so the first thing I'm going to say, I guess. James admits in this very first line that he is now a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We kind of joked about it in our home group, but it's important to realize that uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? So when he's saying that as his brother, as Jesus' brother, I mean, James is really he is he is stating with whole conviction that his brother Jesus is the Messiah. This is the coming Christ, this is the savior. So he's not, So don't ever confuse that word with just the name. That is, that is, he is the Messiah. So right from the gate, he is saying, I am the servant of the, the coming Messiah or, or the Messiah that has come uh, of, of Christ. To the 12 tribes, again, he's speaking to, to Jewish, to Jewish uh, 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 people here. And I'm going to break this down into about three different sections that I see in these first 11 verses. It's going to come from joy. Then he's going to talk about wisdom. And then he's going to kind of end with an exaltation of the Lord. And both joy and wisdom only come from the Lord. There's really no other way to get them completely. And so uh, the first, uh, let's go back to verse two. So count it all joys, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So steadfastness, uh, it really means like under pressure. So it is saying stand firm even when things are, are piling down, even when there is an immense amount of pressure, we are to be steadfast, which means we are to be able to be stable. And joy helps us do that. Count it joy. So I want to bring up something that I think is very important that I've heard a lot here Uh, not just at the church, but at work, uh, everywhere else, is that joy is not happiness, okay? Joy is not happiness. Um, So happiness is fleeting. Happiness is something that happens right now. Happiness is something that comes and goes. Happiness is something um, that the world tells us to seek for. Do what makes you happy. Oh, I will be happier if... If only this would make me happy, you know, blah, blah, blah. But here's another side to that coin. So here's some things that happiness brings about. Um, It brings about, uh, uh, you know, instant gratification type things. But it also brings about really bad stuff like bitterness. Happiness brings about all kinds of different evils. The reason is because it always leaves always happiness can be here today it can be gone tomorrow happiness can be something that you that you seek and seek and seek for and then once you get it guess what you're no longer happy with it anybody ever been there before I have I've had a lot of conversations with people that say I feel like I deserve happiness but you don't you don't happiness isn't something that is is to really even be sought after there are things that make us happy and that's fine but we are to seek after joy. So joy is a different side of that coin. Joy is something that's only produced by the Lord. Joy is something you can have in despair. Joy is something that you can have when all of your happiness is broken and torn apart. And I was talking with with, uh, with my wife, Shay last night, and it, it brought about this example of that... Um, Happiness, the result of happiness that, that I see in the church of years of striving after happiness is, um, is, is the, I don't know the great way to say it, it's the bitter person that can't stand anything that, that we've all seen in churches from time to time. You know, They're the people that, that, that have spent their whole lives, whether they're young or old, I don't suppose it really matters, that have sought after happiness and it has failed time and time and time again or maybe it all eventually came crashing down and nobody wants to be around them. That's a result of happiness, which I know sounds kind of backwards because it's fleeting. The result of joy is, and I might have already told this story uh, previously, but there's there's a guy, he wrote a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism years ago. His name's Robert Coleman. And when I got to spend time with him, I was in California and the guy, I got to share a room and he was like 87 or something. And I got to share a room with this guy and he would walk around in these conferences all day long. Uh, Had to, I don't think he had to use a cane at that point. But anyway, I was exhausted. I know he was exhausted and he would wake up and I kid you not, he would wake up. First words out of his mouth, he would be singing unto the Lord. This dude would get up get in the shower and just sing like he woke me up. It was pretty annoying. I'm like, I'm trying to sleep. We'd have to get up at like 5 a.m. And this guy, there was joy all over him. That is the difference from a life lived of joy, seeking after the Lord, rather than just trying to do things for the Lord that try to bring about happiness. And I'll never forget it because I'm like, I want to be like that guy. Like, how do I get to be like that guy? To where all of my thoughts, regardless, at that time, I want to say his wife was going through. It was it was, it was not a great time in his life. I don't know what exactly was happening, but he was the most joyous man I've ever heard. He wanted to tell everybody about what the Lord has done. He wanted to proclaim the gospel, but not from a, um, a, he was a speaker, not from a speaker's duty. Which a lot of other speakers there, it was just a stark difference in this man. And it was just the joy of the Lord. So the joy of the Lord comes from saturating ourselves with this right here, the Word of God. And it comes from this next part that we're going to get into about seeking wisdom and being with believers. But I want you to try to separate those things because they're equated in our society of joy and happiness, but they're not. They're not the same thing at all. One of them can be gone like that. The other one is, a, is a, a, a resounding thing we can stand firm on because it is of the Lord. So let's move on to verse 5. And let's say, okay, well, I want some of that joy. Now what? How do, I get, how do I get this amazing joy you're talking about? Well, he starts laying it out a little bit. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person uh, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So let's read about wisdom real fast. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn over to Proverbs 2. We're going to read 1 through 15 real quick. It says, it says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes. If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God for the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of injustice and watching over the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice. and equity, every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the path of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the per- uh, uh, perversiveness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So we get back. If we want to look at joy, first we've got to ask the Lord for it, and we've got to seek His wisdom. And wisdom is something else that I want to try to debunk today from what our society teaches. So our society teaches that you've got to go after something called happiness, the pursuit of happiness, right? That, that's what we need. And really, uh, if you want to get there, you've got to be wise. But the way that the world talks about wise is, is going to be a couple of different things. Like, think of, think of what you would think our society would tell us would be wise things to do. And they're generally going to be the choices that we make. Um, a lot would have to do probably financially, so make really good financial choices. That's a really wise thing to do. Um, uh, study and know a lot of good historical facts. Well, that, that's pretty wise. Um, in our political realm, knowing different issues, right? So, if you want to be wise, you've got to know different political issues and and keep up with the news and all of that some stuff uh, of stuff. Uh, so, just kind of wise and wisdom is generally, I think, associated with. Being smart, making wise choices, not doing things that we shouldn't do. Which are all good. I'm not saying go make bad and poor decisions. These are good things. But don't rely on just your smartness or intelligence to make good decisions. Because at some point, you're gonna make a really bad decision. And it's gonna either it's gonna cost you money, it's gonna cost you. Uh, friends. It's going to cost you reputation. It's going to cost all kinds of things. And so to kind of counter that with what the scripture talks about wisdom is when the scripture talks about wisdom, you, you don't really hear any of that. You don't hear of things that you do. What you hear is seek the Lord for it first and foremost. And it says that he will give it. So we seek the Lord for wisdom first. But then it says when you seek wisdom, these are the things that you'll find. Is that you'll find a fear of the Lord. So rather than just making good choices, you will find a fear of the Lord. It says that this, this wisdom will also shield you to walk with integrity. So you throw integrity into the category of what does wisdom look like? Well, wisdom looks like integrity. That's something that guards your path. This is now wisdom. Uh, wisdom is something that, uh, that helps us with discretion, both with our heart and with our soul to follow the Lord. Um, and it helps deliver you from evil. So the whole last part, it's saying, when you seek out this wisdom, it helps you stay away from the perversiveness of, of man, these terrible things of speech, all of this other stuff. And so throw the intellect part out Again, not saying that we shouldn't seek any of that, but, but that is not true wisdom. That's just learning things. Which again, at the start, I like to do. <laughs> I like to learn things. That's fine. But when we lean on our learning, we're missing a whole big part of leaning not on our understanding, but leaning on the Lord. So the Lord's wisdom just looks vastly different. He he looks at somebody and he says, What I can give you in wisdom will be a a life of integrity, a life of character, a life above reproach, somebody that loves, somebody that seeks after my face and not that seeks after all of these other things of the world. And he'll still guide us in those other things of the world with his Holy Spirit. But we're not to lean on those things by any means. So I hope that's tracking. Um, and then, so it's not about material things. Uh, I do want to bring that up. So we here uh, as, a, as a church would reject something, what's called the prosperity gospel, which a lot of people would take verses like this out of context that just says, um, ask God and he will give generously. And if you don't get it, you lack the faith. And if you do get it, then you must have strong faith and it's a blessing to you. Um, this is one of the verses that would have been taken out. So here we would say, well, not just would say, I think the Bible is very clear that this is not talking about that at all. This is talking about wisdom. When he's saying, ask the Lord and he will give it generously. James is referring to wisdom here. Ask the Lord for wisdom. He's not referring to material things at all. Um, he's not even referring to um, well, I'll, I'll stop there. Um, yeah, so ask for wisdom. And then he goes on and he just says, uh, uh, with, with no doubting, um, for a person that doubts is like somebody that is just tossed to and fro. So what I want to ask you today uh, and kind of plead with you is to seek the Lord for wisdom and to examine your life and to not be tossed around by the, by the waves and the wind. And what that means is to not be somebody that walks in here and says, man, I love the Lord, and then you walk out and your life looks radically different. I've, I've been there. I've done that. I remember clearly on, um, on the day when I was, I think I was at some kind of youth camp. This has been years ago. And I knew that when I left that, something had to change because I could no longer try to straddle and play this church game straddle a fence and say well I'm gonna I know the answers because I've got this knowledge because I've read I've heard this stuff but man I was far from the Lord and so I tried doing both and that is that is you're being tossed to and fro you're double minded and it says not that you're just double-minded it it, it, it makes a You know, it doesn't say the word, but it's basically saying that you are a fool and you are unstable in all of your ways. And that's where our wisdom will get us. So counterintuitive there. Your wisdom is smart and as intellectual and as great as you may be at all kinds of things. If you rely on that, you will be unstable, tossed to and fro. So rather, church... Let's not be fools. Let's seek the Lord for His wisdom, for His wisdom alone we can stand on. So don't don't play this church game. Don't do it. Trust in the Lord for your wisdom. Stop relying on yourself. This, This is for me right here. I have done that. To say I never do it would still be a lie. I mean, I want to fully rely on his word and not my own abilities. I, I like to do things. I like can in, in some of our meetings, like that's I'm like, you just tell me what to do, I want to do it. Which is which is fine. But what that translates for me a lot of times is I don't trust others and I rely on myself. I do that at work a lot. I'll do that here. And it's harmful. It's harmful. And it might work for a while. You might be like, well, I've been doing that and everything's going fine. It will crash. It will. It will crash. Ask the Lord for wisdom. He will give it generously. Let's let's move on. The last part here, uh, exaltation of the Lord. So it says this in verse 9. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So there's there's a there's a couple myths that he's that I'm gonna uh, get to. So again, James is talking to mostly wealthy Jewish leaders. Okay, and these Jewish leaders, and we get later in the book, will do things like. Um, uh, and just Pharisees in general would do things like they would they would wear all this nice stuff and they really prop themselves up and they would look down on others, and they would look down on people that might not have this kind of prominence. And so, uh, what what he's not saying at all with the wisdom part or or any of that, he, he's really not talking about anything to do with uh, money per se. As far as like, because uh, I've heard it been preached this way before too is. This isn't dealing with anything uh, money-wise, but he's addressing people that have money because those that, that's kind of the people he's talking to. And so he's primarily talking to wealthy Jewish people that tended to treat the poor or those in poverty with some type of, of disgust or with some type of unfair treatment a lot of times. And so he's talking to believers here. Again, that's, that's important to remember. And so, um, and there's a lot of, There's a lot of wealth in the Bible, so I'm not trying to make any kind of case that having any kind of wealth is terrible. You see things like we're talking about in in Sunday school, from Joseph to Moses that lived in Pharaoh's house, then we get on to the kings. I mean, there's there's a plethora of wealth in the Bible. But again, to try to debunk that God gives generously, this is not any kind of prosperity thing. The New Testament and Jesus, they actually warn a lot about having wealth. And, and, and Jesus says some things that are, um, that are warnings, you know, in, in Mark 10, he says how hard it is for a rich man to enter heaven. And then, uh, uh later on or, or earlier in Mark, actually, he talks about, you can't serve both God and money. You can't have two different masters. Um, and then I, I want to read this. I feel like I'm jumping around now. My brain's going, but in first Timothy, we're going to read in chapter six. Uh, verses 8 and 9, and it says, if I can find it. Yeah, it says, But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Um, And so what he's trying to point to here is James is really trying to get to the heart of some of these people that think they've made it or think they have something because they've got wealth. And so he, he brings out a couple things. He says, let the lowly boast in their exaltation. So he's telling them that if you do not have much, boast in the Lord for what he has done, regardless of the circumstance. Your circumstance may be down, we can lift the Lord high and say, Look at him. Don't look at me. Let's boast in the Lord. And then on the flip side of that, it says, And the rich boast in humiliation, which means the rich still, at the same time, can't say, Hey, look at me. Look what I've done. They lay it all down and say, Although we've got whatever, let me humble myself and still boast and exalt the Lord. Period. He puts both of these on a playing, on a, on a, under the same playing field that we are to boast in the Lord our God. I want to read one other thing from First Timothy chapter 6. Um, I want to read 17 through the end. It says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold uh, of that which is truly life. And he says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. This is the same type of thing that he's saying. He's saying, don't boast in your riches. They will all fade away. Boast in the riches of, uh, of the... Or, or, or boast in the Lord and be rich in good works. Be generous, do what is good... Storing up these things, not earthly things, are what gives you truly life. He says, take hold of that, that is truly life. And then when he says, guard the deposit entrusted to you, this also goes along with wisdom. Like, like, guard this. Be wise in this. Avoid irreverent babble and everything else that you see that's called knowledge. Avoid all of that. It's foolishness. Trust in the Lord. So the question that I have now to myself after all of that, it's okay. So if I say I'm a believer, I hear this, I want joy, I want wisdom, and I want to be able to exalt the Lord in all of these things. What, what do I do? How do I do this? And so there's a couple things that we would do. We do this in obedience to the Lord. We do this by, by seeking and trusting and following the Lord and saying, He is Lord, He is King, and He is Savior, And so when the disciples hear a lot of this stuff, their answer to Jesus is, how do we do this? This is impossible. Who then can be saved if we have to forego all of this stuff after Jesus says how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? And so Jesus ends with something that's so hopeful. He says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So I want to go back to hope. That's kind of been a theme here this morning. Our hope is only, 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 only in Christ. There is nothing else. There is no other. He is the way, not just a way. He is the way, the truth, the life. Him and Him alone can turn our mourning into dancing, our sorrow into joy. He can turn our faith into sight because we have hope in Christ. Man, I love that song that we sing. I'm going to ask Wesley if you'll come on up, man. We're going to sing a song that, that is called He Will Hold Me Fast. That also speaks of the hope because we, in order to truly sing that, we have to believe that. That Christ is... Is your hope. So I want to say two other things. Um, As we sing in just a second, if you're a believer, if you proclaim Christ as your Savior, if you proclaim Christ as your King, um, when we sing these lyrics, I ask you to search yourself to believe these lyrics and not just sing a song. It's easy to read. The word's here. It's easy to come here and listen. It might not have been easy to listen to me to follow, but it's easy to at least come and you hear all of these things. You hear the knowledge. And praise God for it. But ask God for wisdom to help you believe. He has sent His Spirit, the Comforter, to help teach us these things. If you're not a believer... Or maybe you're just sitting there and you're like, ah, this is all new to me. I ask you to ask the Lord to give you wisdom. That he may help you in your obedience. That he may help you understand these things like his word says. I sure don't claim to have all of the answers. just want to be faithful and proclaim the Word of God. And James does such a practical way because the the, the snares that tie us up in our society each and every day are so prevalent that they hold us and they keep us from, as in 1 Timothy it says, living and truly taking hold of life, of real life. These things rob you. The search for happiness and the search for knowledge robs you of life in Christ. It's not that it's just not good for you. It robs you. There's a tactic to try to keep you away from the Lord. And so let's just seek Him out in wisdom this morning. If you don't know the answers, join that club. I don't know all the answers. But the one that we sing to, our King has the answers. And He will hold us fast. He will keep us. He will strengthen us. I'm going to pray for us if you'll stand and then Wesley's going to lead us in song. Oh God, may you be proclaimed in this church. God, grant us wisdom to seek you, to live a life. God, that is that is worthy to be called an ambassador of Christ. That is not anything that I can do on my own. For my ways uh, seek, not your ways. And so God, I ask that you help me seek your ways. Grant us here as a church the wisdom to follow you and seek you and trust you with all that we have. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.